Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Matt Frewer from Max Hedrum and Eureka, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi. We are so grateful for our Patreon supporters. Mike Crate, thank you so much for supporting us on this podcast. And by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today. AudibleTrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come grab a chair and enjoy the conversations. I think we've got an unexpected guest. Rose. Where we're going, we don't need roads. I've got a bad feeling about okay. it. Quiet. Whoa. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Good evening. I am Miles Pugh and Glockland. And tonight, we have a very special guest who's with us. Hello, my name is Kiefer. I am, um, um, I will be your server today. Oh, good. You're serving food. Uh, we have a new server at the at the restaurant, so he's he's in training. All right, so you know we'll be okay. Padawan Jedi stuff. Yeah, Pad- <laughs> definitely Padawan. 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 Padawan would make it interesting too, but Padawan Jedi stuff. So, so far, I'm on my first re- regeneration. Yeah, pro. Yeah, so you're a uh, Doctor Who. So uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about the menu night. We're going to talk about our sci-fi world, right? Talk a little bit about. Uh, obviously, the main bulk of the show we're reviewing, Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Yeah, I know. Exciting, isn't it? And then we're also going to talk about a little... I think we should talk about Black Panther because it is continuing to break records. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 insane. a juggernaut. It's, yeah. it's insanely good. Yeah, I know you saw it too, but, but it's a continue to break... It continues to break records. So... Very cool. And then we're going to end with our interview with Drew Avery. We had a fascinating chat with him about he writes military uh, space opera and fantastic stuff. So, yeah, listeners, if you're looking for some uh, new reading material, um, we, we want to send you to Drew Avery's uh, work. Uh, he's got some good stuff out there. Yeah, what the Elorian Wars, uh, 99 cents for the uh, broken, I can't remember the name of it. Broken Worlds. Broken Worlds. Yeah, Broken Worlds it was, but. Yep, ninety nine cents. Yes, ninety nine cents. It's a deal. Just it's, serve it's, up it's, that it's a, book. Yeah, <laughs> we will serve up that book. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in our sci fi worlds before we get into that, though. And Miles, why don't you start us out? What is going on in Miles' science fiction world? Well, uh, I had uh, an opportunity to see some new shows. Um, we had, were, had temporary layoff at work, and so I had not seen any of the new. The uh, Black uh, Lightning show, right? And uh, I watched the. Uh, did you like Black Lightning? I did. It's very well written. However, the first five, the first uh, few episodes are not available, so I'll have to wait till they come back on re- on uh, uh, reruns. But I've watched most of it. I really like that. I'm still watching. Um, so uh, Kiefer asked, "What's Black Lightning?" Like it's like Black Panther, like, but it's, it's is it like about a bolt of lightning that's black? And gets a lot of crit- and gets criticism for like racism. I don't know. He he's a superhero that he ha- he's been around before, um, but uh, he, he's he's played by he's an African American um, 
man and he has the power to control electricity. Uh, the story takes place. Um, he, he, by day he is, a, he is a school principal and, um, he, he stopped being black lightning for a while. And there are some events in his life that happened that he had to put on the, uh, the, the, the black lightning costume and, and, um, uh, fight the forces of evil, but um, it's it's from CW. CW does very good with their uh, their superhero shows. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, great, wow. So that's a, so I've, so I've been catching up on that. Yeah. So uh, Kiefer, just so you know, when we do the uh, what's going on in our sci-fi world, we typically allow the people to just talk about what's going on, and then when they're finished, we'll ask them questions. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Sure. okay. Go ahead, Miles. You can continue. And another thing I'm watching. It, um, it's called The Crossing. It's on ABC. It's um, the, the first episode just came out. Hopefully, it'll be a new episode this week. Um, but it, it stars uh, S- Stephen Zahn. Um, he, he's a sheriff of a small town up in the Pacific Northwest, and the they find these people coming out of the out of the ocean. Um, and these people said that they're basically from Earth's future, from 150 years. They're trying to escape this war, and um, so they have these refugees from the future, and just how this how this town is is dealing with it. Uh, first episode was fantastic. Um, uh, I like. I need more TV to watch, but right. I'm going to watch this. Uh, watching the other shows, uh, Marvel Agents of Shield, uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, um, and um, uh, started reading some uh, time travel novels. Uh, Doctor Who, not Doctor Who, um, but uh, it was advertised on my Kindle. Um, for, I read the first one in this series called Time Trap by by Jill Cooper, and about a teenage girl who. Let me rewind a little bit. They they there's a premise that time travel is available, and what you can. For for a fee, you you can go go to the past for fifteen minutes, but you can't physically interact with anything. You you're just an observer. Well, she's figured out a way to actually uh, manipulate this, where she can actually go to the past and prevent her mother's murder, and she's able to do this. But as we know, when you try to mess with the past, something there's other, consequences. There's consequences. There's so, consequences. So too. the book explores that. Uh, another time travel book I'm reading. Uh, Mission on Time by Richard Scott. Uh, these two astronauts are in this experimental craft to try to test uh, Einstein's theories. They end up in the past, and cool. How did they, that happen? Um, through, through, through going through, fa- they managed to go faster than the speed of light, and then when they come back to Earth, it's a, it's revolutionary air, war era. Wow. So, it's, so the, the the premise is you have mo- our, our modern day worldview. Kind of uh, going up against sometimes the worldview of the, of the 1700s uh, colonial America, and so that's what that's what I'm reading right now. Oh, that's fantastic! I'm 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 reading a couple of things too. Yeah, go ahead, tell us, Kiefer, what's going on in your sci-fi world? Um, in my sci-fi world, so oh, what are you reading right now? Oh, well, Rangers Apprentice, right? Uh, yeah, I'm reading Rangers Apprentice. It's not exactly sci-fi. Well, it's fantasy. That, yeah, that plays I'm also, in. I'm also Watching some Doctor Who, which is one of my favorite favorite shows of all time. I got in. What's your favorite? What's your favorite Doctor so far? 
the ninth probably just because <laughs> I haven't seen much of the tenth. I've seen less of the tenth than I have of the ninth, but I, I really like the ninth. The ninth is so good. I'm so unhappy that he was only one season. So <laughs> okay. dang it. Yeah. And the other thing was, I oh. You're also, uh, we also watched Thor Ragnarok this weekend. Yes, we watched that this weekend. <laughs> that was the best, one of the best movies I've ever seen. It was almost a, it's, for some reason, the movies keep on getting better. As technology progresses, each movie keeps on getting better. It was Black Panther, then it was Ready Player One, and then freaking Thor Ragnarok. And I'm like, mm, why? Why? Why you gotta do this to me? <laughs> but, Marvel. But, uh but you, but you, but you really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. Yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. I loved it. I can't believe Thor's like Odin now. I think he's gonna. I have a theory that he's probably gonna grow up and become Odin. In my sci-fi world, I obviously I'm watching. Uh, I watched Thor Ragnarok with Kiefer and Ready Player One with you, and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, and you as well. Um, and uh, I'm actually reading Ready Player One again because of that. And um, he's not reading it without me, right? <laughs> Maybe. Really? <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll rewind. I'll rewind. I, I just couldn't not. stop. It's such a good book, Miles. If you haven't read Ready Player One, it's well worth the read. You would enjoy it simply because of the 80s references in it. Even if you're not a gamer, there's plenty of other references. Like, there's references to movies and other stuff. It's fantastic. Well, now can I finish? But All right. So, uh, so I'm doing that. Then the other thing that I um I watched, I just watched Rathacon and prep for next week's show because we're going to be reviewing Rathacon. So that was kind of exciting. And um the Starship Yamada, is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, so I am I am watching that, Miles, because you got me into it. Thank you. Um I am about uh episode nine. And I watched, uh, I watched Stargate Origins, which, um, I was, um, I was mildly, I was mildly impressed with. Yeah, I haven't watched all of it. It has not really grabbed me the way yeah, I hoped it would. Yeah, there's only one episode. You should finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a very cliched way of wrapping up the series. So that's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. That's all. Are you watching Timeless? Uh, no, I, I'm. I have not watched a new season of Timeless, so I do got to watch. Are you watching Timeless? I, I am, and I think the second season is even better. It, my, yeah, the first season was 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 fantastic. That the, the second season is even going to be better. Oh, awesome! I honestly wish I could watch Timeless, and that was what happened first. My dad, yeah, we told my him dad over here told me, "Oh, I can watch Timeless totally. I you can watch Timeless whenever you want with me, with me, with me. Not even two days time. I can't watch Timeless. My mom and my dad are watching Timeless. I wish I could watch Timeless, but it's all your fault." Yeah, well, you know, they there were there were there were a couple of uh, some more adult themes in it that we just kind of felt like at the time when we was watching it that would not be good and some of the intensity in it so um but but let's um let's talk uh, tonight here though we're, we're here to talk really about ready player one so why don't we move into that and talk a little bit about ready player one so miles had you read the book i have not read the book but um i think i might have to check it out like you said all the 80s and pop culture references. I think yeah. it'd be a fun trip down memory lane. Oh, and it is, and it was a fun trip down memory lane. Now, before we get into it, uh, we always like to talk a little bit about how the movie's doing financially, and we weren't really impressed with domestically what it was doing, but worldwide it seems to be doing okay. 
Yeah, and actually, the figure that I have on IMDb says three hundred ninety-three uh, million, so almost four hundred million dollars, and uh, and it cost them one hundred seventy-five, so they made money on it. So that's a good thing. Um, um, it got um, you know, and I heard I heard kind of some mixed reception of it. Some people that didn't like it, some people like it. The purists that said it's not like the book, and it's not like the book. Uh, it's a very good I thing. I really yeah. went in and really enjoyed this movie, Kiefer. I know that you loved the movie. Um, did you know be, before I took you to it, I showed you the trailer. How were you feeling about the movie before you went to see? It? I was. Pretty overjoyed about it, actually. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be movies about video games and Easter egg. I like Easter eggs. I get video games and I like movies. All my favorite three things combined. But then I literally, I looked at, I took maybe the five first minutes of the movie in, and I was like, 80s pop culture, 80s pop culture, 80s pop culture, 80s pop culture. Kiefer is a child of the 80s, for those of you listening. Pop culture. I am 26, by the way. Um, I am single ladies. Um, no, Really? And, you heard it here. Kiefer is and, single, ladies. So I am single yeah, yeah. and ready to mingle. No. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> he, he got that expression from you, Miles. Yeah, I, I, I use that all the time. Apparently, Miles is single and ready to mingle. Yeah. It definitely was an, uh, an engaging movie. Um, you know, uh, I went into it having read the book and having an ex- the expectation that this was not going to be the book because there was no way they were going to put everything that happened in the book in this story. So I went in with not that expectation and really enjoyed the story they told. Uh, the characters felt believable to me. and um, It was set in real life, too, and I liked that. Yeah, so I like all the te- the pop culture. I saw Sonic, which literally nobody else in the entire theater saw, and I'm really mad about that. I saw Sonic. I saw um, Back to the Future, the um, DeLorean. DeLorean. Yeah, absolutely. I saw oh, some. I saw the Iron Giant. Yeah. I saw the Teenage Mutant, Mutant Ninja Turtles. I saw Gamora. I saw. Um, I think I saw the. I think I saw Sage Ventures somewhere in there. I know I saw her. You know what? They, and I heard they couldn't get the rights for Star Wars. So Star Wars was, they didn't know, they didn't allow the rights for, but they had some characters that I said, Oh, are those Star Wars characters? They got the rights from so many properties. Though. Yeah. Oh, well, they did. And you almost didn't miss that. Yeah. And some properties, some people might consider obscure. Um, oh, yeah. Fans, fan, I mean, fans of Firefly will will, will be happy that I mean uh, we saw we saw the Serenity. Uh, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm reading through the book, and I guess in the book you can get away with you know writing those references that you can't when you get them into actual media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so it's a uh, so it's a uh, so it's a uh, it's a little bit different, I think, when you're writing in the book medium than you when you see it visually. I think they have to go through a lot more to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the biggest, the biggest bummer about it was we went there to see it in 3D miles. Yes. Yeah. And that, that did not happen. No, they, I, I did know that, uh, I guess they had the, the, whatever equ- the equipment they have there makes it possible for BC in 3D and that was not working. I think they, they tried to get, they, they tried to start the film like two or three times. Yeah, it was like three, three times they tried to start and just couldn't do it. And they finally said, we're going to watch it in 2D. But I'm going to be honest, when I walked out of there, I'm not sure that I could have watched that in 3D 
because see, I still missed so much. Oh, it's very intense. It's very intense. And there's so many references. You want to catch all the pop references in it. It's insane. It's impossibly insane. Yeah. And you almost have to watch this. You almost have to watch the movie, what, two or three times to kind of catch, two or three times to catch us. I'm I'm just waiting for it to come out on Netflix. So so you you can just go have like a marathon to be like, okay. um, Let's watch that again. One list on it, off it. One list off it. Okay. One door. Fourth time. um, Let's look for King Kong. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's pretty obvious. He's pretty obvious. There there was, I, there's so many references. So freaking many. There's the adventure reference. There was the. No. Godzilla reference, King Kong reference. Yeah, we heard that already. You already said that. Yes. Kiefer, what about the story? So we we already kind of talked about some of the creatures like uh, Kong and the the Gundam and Mega Godzilla, the Mecha Godzilla. But what what about the story? Did you like? I like the. There was in. So we have Wade and Parsifal, right? He's the main character. Yeah, we have. We, I think that the story was probably the thing that most intrigued me. I really like the Rubik's Cube. I like the part how Hallow's Day didn't really die. I, I, I don't know. You just have to watch the movie to actually get the feeling for it. Yeah, Holiday, Anorak. Anorak was insane, insane, I tell you. There was so many references. We we already talked about the references. Literally. I want to talk about the story I mean, though. No, we, even in the story there were references. Oh yeah. See when um there's this one shot in the scene. Haha <laughs> shot because I'm talking about the scene where there's Artemis and there's Parzival and they're crouched behind the little barrows and there's have everybody shooting at him. And um, Parzival actually pulls out Han Solo's gun. Oh yeah. He pulls out Han Solo's gun. That's one of the most I don't think they could get the rights for that. But they still, they still probably, they still probably put it in there. And nobody. Well, there will- were a lot of guns in there that I didn't recognize, and you have to be like Miles. You know, if you know your guns, I'm sure you would have caught a lot of the different guns that people would have had in there. Well, there was one gun. I mean, uh, in, in the in the uh, climax, of the movie Percival pulls out a, a classic Battlestar Galactica laser pistol. Oh, that's right. And you would recognize that of any, of anyone, Miles. Yep. Yeah. So um, he he pulls out Han Solo's gun, and then she, he shoots Artemis with it to keep her safe. You know what's interesting? I don't know that they use Han Solo's gun because they couldn't get the rights. See, in order for them to use Han Solo's gun, it definitely looked like Han Solo's yeah, gun. They're, they're, and there's some of the guns look pretty similar too. I'm pretty uh, sure that was a classic Battlestar Galactica uh, gun. That the he one used. he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. So they look. It, does it look like Han Solo's gun? Uh. It, no, no. The 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 Han gun has a, has a scope on it. This one didn't have a scope. Okay, on it. so oh, okay. without the scope, it didn't. Um, you know, I thought that the story. What intrigued me is you you have a basically a treasure hunt and a race to see who can get to the treasure hunt first. But there's also that human interest story of taking down the corporation and and trying to do something for like the common poor peasant man that these people were supposed to be representing, right? Yeah, we definitely saw the world that uh, Percival came from. I mean, these trailers literally piled on top of each other. That's where you know he was living well, with his aunt. the slums. I the mean, slums, they yeah. They call it the stacks, right? Yeah, and it was a st- it literally stacks. Yeah, they really stacked them on top of everyone. So. Mm-hmm. And, boom, uh, boom, boom, boom. The, um, I don't remember the business name, but the the, the main baddie, Sor- Sorrento, uh, that uh, he... Uh, it was, it was it was basically Parsifal versus uh, Sorrento throughout this whole film. It was, it was, and um, 
and and them trying to do it. And well, it's, it's Parsifal, and I guess you could say it was also Artemis, his sidekick. Yeah, all all, all of uh, Percival's. Yeah, the, the five. Uh, of them. Al- yeah, the, uh, his allies. They got yeah. the reference for Clark, Clark Kent because of the Clark Kent. Oh yeah, glasses. Clark Kent glasses. They, they did that. They, they that was must cool. have done that. Yeah. So you know they have that. They have uh, they have Iraq. They have um, H. The Iron Giant is one of the most entirely significant references in the entire thing. It no, really Kiefer, is the main thing. Kiefer, how many times do you think you mentioned Iron Giant already in the show? One, two, three, four, yeah, five, we don't six, need seven, we don't need to mention Iron Giant again. It's 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 awesome, and he, and Iron Giant was Iron Giant was awesome, but we don't even mention it again. Yeah, so I thought that the story, the the, the idea that we're working with poverty, the actually in the book paint Wade as being very obese, and then, so they did change that. Now he gets thin in the story, so I think it was one of the things he just had to cut stuff out. Like, how much backstory can you give? There's only so much time. Yeah, yeah. But I thought the stacks was interesting. I thought the story with Artemis was interesting um, and intriguing. Um, Simon Pegg, fantastic in this. Who is he? He was the guy that was the librarian. He, yeah, um, Ogden Morrow. That was the yeah, character. He, he was the partner for Hallie. He was Hallie's that partner. That guy. Yeah. The you mean the robot? Yes. Yeah. Why didn't you just say the robot? Well, I did. He said he was a librarian. The he was the guy that gave him the second life or the uh, extra life quarter. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was another really cool reference. Yeah, they did that. They did do that. That it, is a similar from the book. Because in, in the 80s, a quarter, goes, a quarter was uh, an extra life in a game. Yeah. Yeah. So you could actually play that because you lived in the 80s, right? <laughs> uh, I remember, ladies, I am up at the co- front of the cockpit and I am single and ready to mangle. I thought something else interesting explored in the f- movie was... The, these people had their relationships with people in the game, but it was like, okay, we don't. There's a taboo about seeing who 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 these people were in real life. It was just like a, you know, it, it could be a disappointment. Uh, it just and it could so, be someone of the opposite gender. I mean, you could change gender in the game. Yeah, and so th- there was that. I mean, I, I want to. We sort of have that now. I mean, well, we do have that now. People play these games online. They, they oh, yeah. develop friendships or relationships with them and probably will never see them in real life. And Yeah, and some of them, I mean, people do play opposite gender both ways, you know, and that's like, it's just it's part of uh, being the ace is you can kind of create who you want to be and whether you want to be a human, animal, android, or anything, right? So, I mean, there's nothing to say that that's Cyborg, real. monster, and, and that, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even even when you deal with, like, in a sense, Facebook isn't that isn't that much different because we, you put the persona that you want people to see. But it's not, it's not necessarily the true Miles, the true Scott, or Kiefer doesn't have Facebook yet. But, you know, it's not necessarily – it's not – it's not – it's – yeah, it's – you know, it brings up a question. How close do you how close to you do you think that we are to something like the Oasis existing? Not the world of it, because obviously we aren't in this energy crisis where everyone's living in the stacks and um, but this sort of uh, living our lives virtually. Oh, I think I, I mean, to a degree, we're there now. I mean, with with, with social media, with 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 people playing online games, I mean, not. Not quite to that extent, but it, it it's definitely there. I mean, there's. I think some people struggle with the balance of li- living their lives 
in the real world versus, you know, living in, through, through social media and, and everything. So, I mean, you, you play, you play Star Trek online for a while, right? I, I did for a little while. And I mean, that's kind of, you create your character, you play that, you interact. It's very much that way. Those, you know, I mean, I played World of Warcraft for years and it was kind of that way. The average adult spends at least four hours a day on at least looking at a screen. Is that a scientific fact? Actually, yes. Okay, good. I looked it up. Good. Um, I probably spend, I spend way more than that because my work entails that, but not. No, I said I said the average. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody. So you're saying you're saying I'm above average, Kiefer? No, I'm saying you're below average. No. Oh, I just got burned. I just got roasted on the Sci-Fi Diner. So ring up roast here at the Sci-Fi Diner. Uh, um, um, so Rose? I want to talk about the uh, the way the ending. The guy that so the guy that plays a nemesis is um, the guy from Star Wars, right? He, he plays Rogue One, mm-hmm. and that is uh, what's his name? I can't forget his name. He's another nemesis. The actor's name I'm bringing up. I am. Oh, uh, that, uh, that's Ben Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, that's him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Rogue One. He did. He played the director who who was behind the creation of the, the Death Star. He was also in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Know that, but anyway, he also played the king in uh, in uh, in Darkest Hour. Okay. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. So, well, that's that's fan, that that is that is fantastic, and he did an excellent job as the baddie. Oh yeah, definitely. But he did great. And. uh being, being obsessed, you know, you really showed that obsession part of that. Yeah, there's all, there's a fine line between three things. There's a fine line between virtuality, and then there's a fine line between money, and then there's just the last line received from Halliday. Well, Halliday as an actor, I mean, was really really meaningful. It actually meant a lot. Like it was almost like a message to. So real, you want to tell us what the message? Everybody is? was. Wait a moment. It was like a message to everybody in real life. Like, all the scientists that are trying to work on getting everybody into this packed into the virtual world that, like, everybody's supposed to be connected, feel connected, like magnets. Are you going like to tell his, us? Yeah. His last line? Yeah. His last line was, his, I mean, you can never get a good meal in, in virtual reality, right? You need to step outside of virtual reality and actually receive a good meal in real life. And, that, and I think that's why... That last line right there from Halliday is really what makes um, Wade and Artemis just, like, shut down the Oasis on, was it Thursdays and Tuesdays? Or was it Tuesdays Thurs- and Thursdays, yeah. Tuesdays and Thursdays, yeah. Because they, they think it's important to be a part of the real world, so they shut it off during that. And that was one of the positive messages that kind of comes out of that. You know, balance. There's a balance in it. There's a balance in it. I think what one of my favorite moments is has to be the uh, the Star Trek search for spot or the Star Trek uh, Wrath of Khan reference. Um, that, that was one where, where Holiday's in the casket. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and he sits up. Well, Kiefer, I just want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but we're going to let you go. We appreciate you giving your input into it, bud. So thank you so much for uh, coming on the Sci-Fi Diner and chatting. Some of our listeners I don't know you because they met you at conventions. So, and sometimes I come in near the end. That's true. Oh, All right. Well, thank you, Kiefer. Remember, you can only get a meal two places: in the real world 
and in the sci-fi diner. All right. Thanks again, Kiefer, for joining us. So let's talk a little bit more about the, um, about the, uh, the movie. And, uh, so the, I thought the music really paired, paired well. Again, you had some of that classic movie. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, they definitely had a lot of love for classic eighties music. And, um, yeah, I was absolutely. delighted to hear, hear it in their movie. Yeah. So, um, what, what other moments did you really appreciate? I mean, there's a, again, a lot of nostalgia in this. The, I mean, the whole, the whole movie is a trip through nostalgia. I oh, mean, it, it is. If you grew up in the eighties and nineties. Um, so j- just for that alone, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, but you know, just some of the, uh, the 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 the, the hum, human element when when, when Percival won, win, wins the first uh, the first race and you, you get to see him um, improve his situation a little bit he's able to he's he, in the beginning of the film he's borrowing equipment so he can do he could go into the Oasis but uh, he's able to buy himself a nice the, the suit to wear while he's in there and. and it was just not, it was nice to see him get a break for a, a change. He was he, he's obviously not in the best living situation with his aunt and uh, abusive uh, her abusive boyfriend, and and you get to see him finally you know just get away from that and able to uh, um, just just uh, stand on his own for a bit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I was looking over some of the. Uh, the trivia about this movie, you know, one of the things that when you Kiefer and I watched the movie, we came home and watched all the Easter eggs, right? Uh, I just, I can't imagine being a director of this film and all the rights that you had to go through to get all the different franchises on board. Uh, Spielberg goes on record as saying, this is the third more, most difficult movie he's ever filmed in his life. Um, number one was Jaws. Number two was Saving Private Ryan. So, and I can imagine those being just from the content. Yeah. Uh, he probably had to have a, a team just, just, just for all the logistics of just acquiring the rights to, for, for to, to, so he can include all that in his movie. Um, and I just, because you, you, you rarely see these properties mixed together and here you, you, there's, there, 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 there's there's got to be you know dozens of of, of properties, uh, especially at the end of the f- oh yeah the the, bat- the great battle scene at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's just so much. Um, the uh, you know one of the things we didn't talk about. So when Kiefer was watching that with us, um, one of the big debates I had, even I was talking to my librarian, is like, is this a movie that I can take kids to? And so my son is ten years old, almost eleven, and. And it's, this is a PG-13 movie, so it's a little bit young uh, for it. And I would say that 90% of the movie he was fine with. Mm-hmm. What part do you think he wasn't fine with? Ah, that's a good question. Um, the reference to The Shining. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, a little naked lady comes out and starts attacking. Yeah, I was covering his eyes through that part. Last thing I need is my kid waking up with, like, nightmares of that stuff happening. And so that. I mean, that's the only caution was that was the, the reference to the shining and that whole, you know, dancing with the dancing with the zombies wasn't bad, but it was the horror thing where they're getting chased. Yeah. 
Yeah, with the, the blood and so on. So. I, I could see that giving a, a child, maybe even some adults, last, uh, yeah. some problems. Yeah, give, give me some problems in the long. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, there are so, uh, so, I mean, again, uh, again, I think that it was a pretty good movie in part of that. And, and it's, not, it's not bad for kids as long as you're aware and your kid can handle that sort of stuff. Yeah. So this is only a third film that Spielberg has not worked with John Williams in. Oh, okay. Yeah, he typically works with John Williams in as far as that. I'm trying to think of what else. What else do we have here to talk about? Listeners, if you haven't seen it, I mean, I, you know, we have talked about how we would rate this, whatever. I don't know that this is necessarily a movie you have to see in a movie theater. I think this is something you can either wait till it uh, becomes yeah. a rental or on, on your streaming service now. Um, yeah. I mean, at least in that, to, to, to look, to look for some of those Easter eggs. Um, but it is worth seeing because it does pay a lot of homage and, uh, uh, give, give a lot of love to uh, things things we've enjoyed in the past. The uh, Gene Wilder was considered as part of it. Oh wow! And uh, he didn't. He turned. He was going to play the part of Halliday. Oh. I thought that the guy they did to play Halliday that was good. I liked Halliday. Yeah, I, I thought the guy, the actor who they got to play Halliday yeah, was. They good. also looked at Michael Keaton for Halliday. Um, I, I think Halliday was. I'm not sure. I, that would that, that would have been worked. good. Yeah. Well, it's just uh, uh, Holiday was uh, it was a very. Not not saying Keaton couldn't pull it off, but I don't know. This, this guy really pulled off that he was a very social, socially awkward man and struggled in social situations. And I believed that this that this is where this guy was. Yeah. So, and the other thing I did I did find out they actually have a little note here about Star Wars. We were talking about Star Wars and the rights to it. Producers attempted to secure rights to include several references to Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. Disney, the actual owner of the franchise, allowed it. I didn't know that Spielberg chose to downplay the star Wars connections because that franchise was in the midst of a sequel and spinoff series. Mm-hmm. So apparently some of the stuff that we saw was star Wars might've been. Okay. Just, it was downplayed. Yeah. It just was downplayed. Like I, I, I was convinced I saw the, uh, the, uh, the Terry the, the Dolterian, the, um, slave owner of Anakin when he was a kid. Like I was pretty convinced I saw him flying around in there somewhere, but I I didn't see I I I mean maybe if I watched it again I'd probably say that yeah that's definitely Star Wars that's definitely Star Wars but maybe if there had been too much Star Wars it may may have upstaged uh, yeah upstaged the movie and so you know you have to balance that and and think about that is mm-hmm. it's interesting another thing that I thought is interesting is that the Anorak the Holidays you know alter ego yeah. is. Uh, Refer, refer as the American English word for uh, a type of hooded jacket or parka, but in UK the word actually is a slightly derogatory term for a nerd or a geek. Oh, so it was very intentional on, and that's a name in the novel too. So that's kind of intentional. But yeah, so I mean, there's just so there's just so much into it. And we talked about this after we saw the movie that not a lot of big names in this movie. Very few. No, you know Mendelssohn maybe. The guy that played uh, Rogue One, like he was fairly well known, and, and Simon Pegg. Guys, see those two guys. Yeah, probably the biggest names, uh, biggest names that I knew. Right. Uh, I mean, the the the, the actor played Wade uh, Parsifal. Um, fans of the X Men movies will will we'll, he played the young Cyclops. Um, if, if any, but he's enjoying uh, watched uh, uh, Killjoys. Um, uh, the woman who played. Um, uh, Sorrento's uh, uh, right hand. Um, she 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 plays a lead in Killjoys, but most of these people I'm not familiar with their work. 
Yeah. So yeah, which is fine. I mean, I thought, oh, no, I thought the cast did a fantastic job. I, I say that as an observation, not yeah. not as a slight. Oh I mean, yeah, if absolutely. Anything, that's you know, it's it, it's good that they they got some you know relatively unknowns to uh, carry this movie. What did you think about the animation in the film? Uh, I. I I thought it was very good. I mean, uh, I mean, when they went, when they did the whole Oasis thing, I mean, um, you know, see, seeing familiar vehicles from our favorite franchises, like the, you know, the time machine from uh, Back to the Future, um, and you know, it was supposed to be, you know, CGI. It wasn't supposed to be look like it was the real world. So, but it was still. But but it was still I, th- I thought it was still fantastic. Yeah, I think we I think we we, we covered it pretty good. Yeah, we got Kiefer's input into that, mm-hmm. so it was a little bit disjointed. But hey, you know it's part of you know I, I want to introduce him into podcasting, and he's excited about the movie. And he just wasn't excited about the movie at all, was he? No, <laughs> no, you couldn't tell that he just uh, he was he was excited about all the Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. So. But that's uh that's fine, and we were glad to have him on the show. Before we go and 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 get into our interview with Drew Drew Avery, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther is still <laughs> Panther. Yeah, it's still climbing the charts. So it has actually hit top ten of all time. Wow! So top ten, it's now it hit. It's actually in number ten, knocked out Frozen. Uh, and it's earned $1.3 billion worldwide. That's incredible. So uh, that that's a pretty, pretty incredible thing. And that's worldwide. Domestically, though, uh, this is where it really gets interesting. It is the third highest grossing film domestically. It knocked out Titanic. <laughs> and uh, But it's behind Avatar and behind Star Wars The Force Awakens. Okay. So I don't know that it'll catch Star Wars Force Awakens. There is a, I would say, a hundred million dollar difference between it and Avatar, so it may not catch Avatar, but it's now solidly in the third place. You just don't. I mean, when you think of you, the Marvel movies, you, you you're pretty sure they're going to do well, but but not like this. This is just um, this this is this is a world into its own as far as how oh, absolutely how, how well it people are people must be going back to see it again and again. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, and it's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about, we did an interview with Drew Avery. Right. Right. So uh, I met Drew Avery on Facebook and we chatted and I knew that he was a writer. I saw him always pushing his works. But Miles, you and I had a chance to sit down and just chat with him. Any thoughts about that interview? Yeah, I think I think some of his work sounds very interesting. Um, maybe something I'm going to have to check out, but uh he describes his work as um, sci-fi, space opera, and he has a military background, so some of it that works its way in there works its way in there. So I, I think he, he's written a lot of stuff, and so listeners, if you need some new reading material, and and this, you know, uh, space opera is, is is what you're into. I think uh, he, he might have something you might like. Absolutely. Well, without any uh, further ado, why don't we go ahead and uh, listen to our interview with Drew Avery. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of 
sci-fi military space opera literature, then you'll be delighted to know that uh, we have a guest with us uh, who uh, writes in that genre. Uh, we are going to be speaking to award-winning and self-published author, Mr. Drew Avery. Mr. Avery, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. And I mean, I know that I mentioned earlier when we were talking that, you know, I've been following you on Facebook for some time because I see you putting out your work and always, um, you know, and you, you, you put out like the stuff that you're doing and writing. So um, you're, you seem to be a very prolific writer and I want to get into that. But before we do that, can you tell us, uh, our, our, for our listeners that may not be familiar with you, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what was it that got you into sci-fi literature, and um, both in literature and in live action? Well, I uh, grew up in rural Mississippi, and it's kind of hard to escape uh, small towns. So I found that comic books were uh, – the biggest thing for me to do and escape into something. I wasn't a big fan of reading full blown books. So I think comic books was my gateway into science fiction and being a kid that born in the early eighties, uh, Star Trek, the next generation came out when I was a kid and then into the later nineties TV shows like sliders were uh, Ooh, pretty fascinating sliders. to me. <laughs> I love sliders. Right. Uh, <laughs> me too. And, uh, that's back when the sci-fi channel really only showed sci-fi yeah, and uh, it was, it was spelled correctly. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, exactly. <laughs> we remember those days. Well, yes, but I think between being a comic book nerd and watching shows like that, uh, that's what really got me into the genre. And then when I was 17, I joined the Navy and whenever we go on deployment, uh, there's one television that you have in your shop or you have a 100 person birthing that has one television. So trying to use TV as a means of escape and watching what you actually want to watch isn't all that feasible. So I would read a crap ton of books. Uh, I kind of grew out of the comic book phase and I would devour novels. And I think at first I read about 32 books on a deployment. Wow. Uh, just kind of eating through them. Uh, any, but what any, got me and, and any particular authors you were reading during that time? Oh man, that was so. <laughs> I remember re reading the Vampire Chronicles by Anne Rice. That kind of stands out. Okay, that was on my first deployment. And then I read a bunch of biographies actually on another deployment, like Eric Clapton and uh, I think Chuck Norris. I mean, it was a pretty eclectic list of people. I was reading their biographies. Oh, wow. And then on my, uh, my last deployment from a couple of years ago, uh, I got into the expanse. Okay. Yeah. The Leviathan wakes. Right. And that yeah. really kind of inspired me to jump into the space opera, military sci-fi genre. I can my see writing. that. I can see that. You know, f funny story, Drew. I, I was, going through audible one day and I said, Oh, this book looks great. And I read it and I said, this seems weird. And I realized I jumped into the fourth book of the series. So I didn't start <laughs> the beginning. I jumped into the middle and it was interesting. And it was enough there that I understood it. And then realizing that there's, you know, another three books that I need to get caught up in before the book I read. Um, I am looking forward to doing that. I haven't done that. I've been sidetracked with Patrick Rothfuss and reading name of the wind right now, but, uh, 
But yeah, so, uh, well, that I, I was going to ask you if you had a military background, because, you, you know, that obviously plays into your writing. I do. I've been in the Navy for 18 years. Are you still are you still part of the Navy? I am. I uh, I'm in a Hornet squadron here okay. in Virginia. Yay. Well, we salute you. We're, we're grateful for the service you provide for our country. So I appreciate that. Yeah. No, so, and uh, you don't get thanked enough many times. So. Um, so you mentioned Dan Rice and then you mentioned Leviathan Wakes are the, um, the, uh, what the expanse, uh, series. Um, uh, would you consider like those two dominant writers that have inspired you or were there other writers that played into forming who you became or who you are as a writer today? Well, I think what inspired me to write was Peter David. I read Ooh. a incredible Hulk novel whenever I was a kid and that kind of got the, gears turn in my head that one day I wanted to pursue writing. Um, really, I think I got into the Anne Rice books because I had seen an interview with the vampire. And when I went on that deployment, uh, just before that queen of the damned had come out and okay. the movie was kind of, eh, but the soundtrack was really great. <laughs> and, uh, I decided that I would try to read the books to see just how far apart, the movie was from the books because if you if you watch Interview with the Vampire and then Queen of the Damned, uh, actor differences aside, they don't even really feel like they're from the same universe. Mm. So uh, I decided I would read the books to see kind of how it was all supposed to be. And uh, once you read one of them, you just, I don't know, I'm a little bit OCD, so I felt like I had to read all of them. And there was even some... Uh, some side books that weren't necessarily part of the vampire chronicles Lestat story. I read some of those too. I think probably eight or nine of Anne's books on that deployment. I picked them up in uh where was I? I think I was in Dubai or something. And I found a bookstore that sold books that were in English. I was actually kind of surprised to find something with vampires in the middle East. Oh yeah, that's true. I didn't <clears throat> think of that. But, that well, that's that's fantastic. I have never, I can't say that other than Buffy, which is like I watch Buffy. That's like the only vampire s type show I ever really watched, and I never read a lot of vampire stuff. But Miles, did you have you read vampire stuff? Not not so much, Drew. I was going to say. I mean, you mentioned Peter David. Uh, we're very fortunate here where we are. We get to see him. He comes to the cons in our area. Um, so um, I've read a lot of his Star Trek novels, but right now I'm reading. Um, the great thing about comic books you probably know is you could do some great crossovers that you can't do with live action for various reasons. But there's now a live a there's now a crossover with classic Battlestar Galactica and uh, reimagined Battlestar Galactica, where somehow they bring them both together. And Peter David is one of the authors for that work. Um, I'm enjoying that right now. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So, uh, so Peter David the Hawk. What about Peter David the Hawk inspired you? Um, I think it was because it was, I saw the book on the bookshelf at a grocery store and I used to hoard my lunch money so I could, you know, spend it on comic books and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, comic book releases were on a schedule. I, th I think they still are like every Wednesday it's new comic book day. And either we went and they didn't put them out yet, or we went on a Tuesday and everything that was on the shelf I already had, but I had, money burning a hole in my pocket. So I decided I would peruse the books 
not really intended to buy anything, but just kind of looking at the pictures. And I saw the Incredible Hulk, what Savage Beast was sitting there on the bookshelf. And I was like, I was kind of blown away. I didn't know they did novelizations of comic book characters. Um, so I just picked it up and I decided I would spend my money on that. I think I shocked my parents more than anything because they <laughs> knew I wasn't, I wasn't really a book reader. Right. I was the kind of, I was a kid that would, you know, read 10 pages of a book for a book report and get an F on it. Right. <laughs> it just wasn't your cup of tea. Right. I didn't have the attention span to read a book, but I read that one three times cover to cover. Wow. A few weeks. I mean, just something about it kind of grabbed me and. See, it was, finding, really don't, it, was, it, was, it was finding that right motivation, right? It is. And the right story. Yeah, the right story. Absolutely. So so three times cover to cover, and uh, and that and that kind of gave you a little bit of inspiration as you went into your own writing then. It did. It took me about 14 years before I finally uh, began my writing career because I was right. 16 uh, when I read the book, and I didn't start writing – seriously until I was 30. Um, it's one of those moments where I was kind of self-reflecting and trying to figure out what of my goals as a kid I didn't even attempt to do yet. And uh, there was a, quite a few of them. Some of them were pretty comical, like be a rock star or be an astronaut. <laughs> and uh, if you've seen my math scores, you know why the astronaut thing never happened. No. But, uh, <laughs> but uh uh, writing a book seemed like it was something that maybe I would have some control over. And that's, that was, as soon as I wrote the first one, it was like, uh, it was like crack for me. I, uh, I had to go back and do another one and another one and another one. That's awesome. How many books have you, uh, published up to the date? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> probably close to 30 wow. published works. Not all of them are full novels. Some of them are short stories or okay. novellas. Okay. But, Very uh, good. And some of them have been pulled uh, unpublished since, but it's probably right. pretty close to 30. Wow. So Miles, when he introduced you, described you as uh, – or described your writing as being military space opera. Is that the term that you would use to describe your uh, your work? It would. The Elorian Wars definitely fits into that. Uh, there's military people or people with military backgrounds, but the war is kind of a backdrop to – what's happening in the characters' lives. And uh, I think when people think about our military people deploying, uh, I think people think about, you know, uh, what was it, born on the 4th of July when they're in Vietnam and guns going off. Right. Uh, and that's what war looks like. But if you watch that movie and you pay attention to everything that was happening, there's a lot of stuff in between the gunfire that happens. Mm. And this, uh, I'm much more into writing about the characters experiencing things to the backdrop of it. And uh, being in the Navy, I was never in real harm's way as far as enemies coming after us. But uh, there's inherently dangerous things with my job working on the flight deck. Uh, people joke that that and crabbing and the Bering Sea are some of the most dangerous jobs you can do. Wow. But, uh, uh, anytime you're in a situation where there's high stress and high danger, people kind of develop a very dark sense of humor. And I have Marine friends and Army friends that are it. You would you would know that we were different branches. Everybody kind of develops that uh, that 
weird personality trait that's a little bit darker and things of that nature. But I like to explore that with my characters and I don't really do the dark humor, but I do do the things where people are reflecting on the situation and how it's affecting their lives hmm. and how they respond to it. Uh, Cause everything is a response uh, right. in, in the military. And it doesn't really matter what your job is. If you're the fry cook or you're fixing parts on an airplane or you're going to drop bombs, everybody's hmm. responding to something. So that's the thing that I really try to focus on. Hmm. Now you mentioned the Illyrian Wars, but you said that the war is kind of the canvas. Can you tell us just a little bit about uh, the premise for the Illyrian Wars, so that our readers can get an idea what this story is about, or what the uh, is it a it's it's not a standalone. Is it a trilogy? Or, um... uh, it's uh, it's a long series. I've got five uh, books. Five already. books in it. Okay, but there's uh, at least three more coming down the pike. Okay. Uh, the, so uh, if you think about Star Wars and the Empire is kind of trying to take control. It's it's kind of the same thing. It's a galactic empire stretching out and trying to claim territory. Uh, for those that don't want to kneel for the emperor, they destroy the planet. That's just all there is. You either become part of the empire or you die. But uh, despite certain death people will rise up and try to rebel. And even people that are within the empire that see it for what it is. So instead of just having a rebel alliance and an empire like Star Wars, there's actually more factions. Uh, there's people trying to undermine the empire in order to seize control from the shadows. And there's members of the emperor's own family that will be standing up to him to kind of combat the situation in later books. So there's, it's a lot about betrayal. It's a lot of uh, cutthroat situations where people are just trying to seize opportunities. And hmm. most of the time it's either trying to seize power or they're trying to uh, take advantage of a situation so they can live. So it's uh, and again, the, and then you said the war is kind of the backdrop through all this, right? It's uh it's a, it's a lot more dramatic. Uh, it's, uh, organizations. I don't know if you've seen Dark Matter, but uh, yes. the different corporations that were in charge. I have a corporation that's trying to basically replace the Empire. There's, I kind of borrow from everything and kind of mix it up a little bit and give your own unique spin on it, huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and, and that's an interesting thought too. The idea of a corporation running a country rather than a uh, some sort of government as we know it. So and I know that that's explored in some of those shows, but um, so how does, uh, how does the Elorian series differ from your dead planet series? Well, dead planet is basically just a, a far future dystopian series. Okay. Um, it's all about government corruption and uh, government not having the people's best interests in mind basically trying to line their pockets and uh and it's about one person trying to trying to save two worlds he's trying to save mars and then discovering that earth is next to fall if he doesn't do something about it so he's t taking that burden of responsibility and uh 
it's one man against the world, whereas the Elorian Wars is a team of people coming together from different backgrounds. And uh, they're trying to, they're really just trying to live, but if they can have a part in to save in the galaxy, you know, that's what they'll do. Cool. Um, so, you know, we, we checked out your website and one of the things that you do is you don't just sell your work. You give some content away. That's also free to kind of wet people's appetites, I guess. Uh, can you tell us some of the, uh, uh, when people come to the website, what can they find out about you and you know, what can they read that you kind of given them to kind of get a taste of these worlds? Well, I do, uh, I try to share as much about myself without being too personal. Um, I like to share interviews that I've been in. So I've started putting those on there. Uh, sometimes I talk about what my goals are for the year. I, uh, have links to a couple of free stories and then I have links to my books. Um, I think I might, I know I have a newsletter sign up. It's been a while since I looked at the website. <laughs> uh, you know that, that that comes with the territory when you're when you're trying to actually do the business of writing you know sometimes working the website becomes uh you know gets in the back burner a little bit my facebook yeah. is so much more interesting <laughs> no, well that's true too do you find it um do you find that you engage your readers more on facebook than anywhere else uh between that and my newsletter um i don't think everyone wants to connect on Facebook. Some people like to keep their lives more personal. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. Whereas in an email, you can chat back and forth on an email and not really giving too much of your information away. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not even trying to say that tongue in cheek about this stuff with Martin Zuckerberg talking to Congress. Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, just some random guy being able to go through and look at pictures of your family might be off putting to somebody, but yeah. sending an email to someone, about what you thought about their book or whenever they respond to a question in your newsletter, letting you know what they're excited to read next, those sorts of things that doesn't require you give too much of yourself. No, that's you true. Know? That is true. And there are people that tend to be a little bit more private. You're right. And the, the newsletter is a nice way to kind of connect with them. Uh, do, right. you do, do you do Twitter at all? I have a Twitter, but <laughs> I don't know how to use it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's all right. You know, as long as you have a platform where people can connect with you, I think that that's the important, that's the important thing about it. So, you know, you have, uh, we've talked a little bit about your Lorian and Dead Planet series. Um, what are you currently working on? What can we expect from Drew Avery coming down the pike here in the upcoming weeks, months, year? I'm currently working on a standalone book called Skyburn. Okay. And it is a, it's a space opera where they're on an asteroid station and there's a gang taking over and the main character, her name is Skyburn and she is a bounty hunter. And basically she grew up in the streets and she was a criminal until someone stepped in and put her on the right path. And it's very much a redemption story. Uh, to the backdrop of her losing everything. And the only thing she has to depend on is someone who has a past very similar to hers, who's a criminal. Um, and a bunch of people who, uh, I'm not trying to get like all religious and stuff, but you imagine the people that, 
uh, the Bible says Jesus hung out with, you know, the prostitutes, right. the tax collectors, and the thieves and stuff like that. Uh, basically, the down and out type people. Um, that's the only people that she has in her life now because everyone was victimized and from her because of this impending gang. And she's trying to she's trying to save her the only home that she knows. And uh, I thought it was it would be a fun idea to include as many of my author friends as possible as characters. Oh, okay. I, I lost count, but I think there's something like 23 or 24 of my author friends who make cameos or have characters named after them. Well, that's fun. I was going to actually ask you if you ever name uh, if you ever name any of your characters after uh, people that you know in real life. Uh, oh, certainly. Uh, the funny thing is, especially in the Navy, everybody wants to be part of something. I've probably had 10 or 12 people ask me to kill them in books. <laughs> I do it. I was like, sure, man. I'll increase my uh, body count. Your name on it. Yeah, there you go. Slap your name on it. That's great. Yeah, Miles yeah. and I were killed off. Well, we weren't killed off. Our fates are unknown in a uh, Dayton Ward book. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, we were on the Star Trek. At, we were on the Star. Uh, we were in. Were we in Enterprise? We, we were. We were serving on the. Uh, yes, the, the the old Enterprise. The old uh, Enterprise. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but our fates are unknown. But we're, we're engineers, not red shirts. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> we might 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 still, make it. Might, might make it. it. Yeah. You, you might make it. You might make it in the background. Yeah, yeah exactly. We'll just we'll just be quiet about it. So, um, if people, if listeners say, you know what, this sounds interesting. I want to, I want to, I want to pick up some of these books. Where do you, where, where should we direct them to so they can, you know, find out more about you and obviously, you know, support you by uh, contributing to your work. Well, the easiest way to find me would be my website, uh, drewavery.com. My name, my last name is spelt kind of funny for how it's pronounced. So it's Alpha Victor Echo Romeo Alpha. Uh, or if you just search the Elorian Wars, I'm pretty sure Google will bring you straight to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. And is your stuff available also on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. I'm, I'm exclusive. So if people are into Kindle Unlimited, they can read all my stuff for free. Okay. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. So if you can do unlimited, I did, that's a, that's a subscription service. It is. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's kind of like Amazon prime, but it's strictly for books. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, miles, do you, do you know about that? You're not using it. You're not using the service right now. So I don't do, I do most of my, do I do, do you, uh, Drew, do you do any audio books? I do. I have, uh, I have a couple of the Alluring Wars done in audio. I have all the Dead Planet books in audio. I have a few. Uh, I have a few other things that are audio. I can't, I can't remember exactly yeah, the, how many. The only reason I'm asking is because most of the literature I consume these days is audio. Like I go out for a run and I'll listen. I'll drive to work and I'll be listening to books. So, I, so I think audio books are really starting to boom. Oh yeah, there's, there's so many people that talk about. Do you have an audio book? Yeah. <laughs> A few um, years ago, you couldn't give them away because no. nobody was interested. Yeah. Well, you know, so services like Audible has kind of made it like, you know, $15 a month. I can do that. You know, I can burn through a book. And I mean, that's the equivalent of almost buying a hardcover book. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, it's less expensive than a hardcover. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Drew, we just want to thank you so much for stopping by the diner tonight and, uh, and sharing a little bit about yourself, about the, what you've been writing. Is there anything else you want to plug before we uh, wrap up the show here? I would say that 
the first book in the Elorian Wars is at a steep discount. So if you want to give the series a try, Broken Worlds is only 99 cents. Oh, good. It's a really inexpensive way to get into a long space opera adventure. Good. Awesome. Awesome. And and do they get that through your site? Do they go to Amazon for that? You can get it straight from Amazon. Okay. Awesome. Very good. There you heard it. So in the Elorian words, and what, what's the name of the book? Broken Worlds. Broken Worlds is for 99 cents right now. Very good. Well, thank you, Drew, so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, maybe we'll have to do this again sometime when you ha- when you get another book coming out, you'll have to come in and we'll at least let you plug it for about five minutes or so. Oh, I'd love to do that. Awesome. Very good. Thanks a lot. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.